Thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It is Monday, June 12th, and today is National Loving Day. It's also World Day Against Child Labor. I don't know why. I think we need to put kids back to work. But nonetheless, it's also National Peanut Butter Cookie Day, because who doesn't love a peanut butter cookie? It's also National uh, Red Rose Day, International, I'm going to murder this, so I'm sorry, Kachakia Day. And it's also International Falafel Day and National Jerky Day. Thank you so much for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us on Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented. But without further ado, we're going to kick it off with the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite, the Quasimodo caretaker, the father to little baby Zozo. And oh, yeah, that's right. He's the professional, professional backpedaler. Oh, that's right. He does it on the field as well as in the pool. That's right. Oh, with his right, with his elephant cup. That's right. Trunks up because, you know, that's how we roll. Trunks up. That's right. It's dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jason. And happy Monday, everybody. Um, and uh, my story is coming out of Massachusetts today. So in the absence of everything, something or even anything is better than nothing. It's the credo for compromise, essential for peace-based goals. Um, in, in anticipation of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's failure to pass any kind of um, uh, comprehensive cannabis legislation bill in a divided Congress and pro-Republican-led uh, House. Effective cannabis advocates have shifted the focus to the big picture in reality-based, achievable, incremental reform this session, uh, much to the delight of Gretchen Gailey. 
<laughs> a necessary preventative measure to prevent uh, total loss of momentum for key issues that they've been fighting for for years. With the bipartisan banking bill expected to finally receive a Senate committee vote within the next few weeks, major concessions across the board have kept traditional hardliners realistic in their efforts to remain relevant in powerful conversations held in rooms where their physical presence is often overlooked and their thoughts and opinions are rarely prioritized. It's a strategy former Massachusetts cannabis regulator should uh, Shailene titles prepared well for and why she founded the Parabola Center for Law and Policy, a women of color run bipartisan think tank uh, of legal professionals and drug policy experts working to protect people, not corporations. This Saturday, Parabola Center hosted a cannabis policy crash course for um, with two Massachusetts Democrat um, Democratic senators, Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey headlining and both presented pre-recorded videos to attendees. Uh, both thanked activists for holding the line for small and minority operators before pledging to promote legislation in alignment uh, with Parabola's messaging. Warren's statement added more color to the previous uh, pro-cannabis comments that she has made on, this, on the campaign trail, calling for communities most harmed by the war on drugs to be first to benefit from federal legalization instead of allowing early domination by big alcohol, tobacco, and retail giants. Here's a quote from that. If the market is left to its own devices, the industry is going to head in that direction. We're already seeing some of those companies like Amazon lobbying for cannabis legalization. And I'm uh, deeply skeptical that Amazon's lobbying is anything more than a self-interested move to monopolize yet another market, potentially blocking Black and Latino uh, entrepreneurs from an emerging uh, industry. Now's the time to get creative and think big about how we can ensure fairness and competition in the cannabis industry. And I'm so proud to be in this fight with all of y'all. Um, right now, we have the rare opportunity to shape how a new industry develops from the ground up. And that means we have the chance to avoid repeating the same old story of corporations crowding out small businesses and dominating markets. Markey's video dove into the current state of industry and failed efforts to regulate on state levels. Here's what he said. We all know well too, uh, all too well the, that the war on drugs was a failure. And same communities disproportionately criminalized under prohibition uh, that stood up and, and fought for a different future. It is because of their leadership that we are seeing a significant change to cannabis law all across the United States. He then noted President Biden's mass pardon last year and efforts in Massachusetts to ensure its legal market put equity first as the fruits of their labor. Our work is just beginning. A patchwork of local and state laws creates confusion and barriers that big business exploits to make big bucks at the expense of communities already decimated by the war on drugs. Congress must realize cannabis and prioritize equity. <laughs> In developing cannabis policy, Congress must give a voice to the communities harmed by the war on drugs, nothing about or uh, nothing about them without them. We're in a new era of federal cannabis policy, but that doesn't erase the harmful effects of decades of, de of criminalization. I'm ready to work together and create a new system. So, also in, in attendance at the um, at the event was the federal cannabis policy uh, at the federal cannabis policy crash course. Name of the event uh, were regulators from Massachusetts, New York, Washington D.C., and reps from major advocacy groups, Drug Policy uh, Alliance, Marijuana Justice, Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, uh, Cannabis Regulators and of Co of Color Coalition, and Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Ahead of programming. Parabola released an anti-monopoly uh, cool toolkit 
highlighting state and federal policy priorities to prevent corporate consolidation that could threaten small cannabis businesses in the industry. Title Team has been on a steady roll of it, of influence since first making a major splash back in 2021 when they proposed changes to a House-passed federal law uh, legalization bill seeking to ensure equitable market empowerment uh, for communities most impacted by the war on drugs. Last November, it was a uh, parabola leading national conversations of awareness about big tobacco and alcohols and big alcohols growing influence and in shaping federal cannabis reform in Washington, encouraging lawmakers to rethink the idea of a federal model mirroring theirs. Uh, though both statements um, by the lawmakers uh, at the event on Saturday had no specifics of plans to execute. The overall messaging did align with the main theme of the event and nationwide sentiment from advocates and, ad, and activists alike. Unfortunately, right-wing agitators have hijacked um, and politically charged formally unifying terms like inclusion and equity. Uh, so I'm not sure how far bipartisan support would go for statements like this, but um, I've got no doubt uh, they've energized the room that was surely packed full of liberals. I think more high-powered uh, programming with government leadership and in attendance is absolutely necessary to develop universal community first language. And the absence of that, in my opinion, has served as an Achilles heel for uh, the social equity movement so far. My only criticism here is the as that Parabola Center is for an organization calling themselves bipartisan, the absence of a conservative voice, major or minor, involved in the keynote programming or having a platform to voice their vision um, it's a little bit off base for them, but that's just me. Uh, uh, big ups to Shailene Title and the work that she's done. And I hope to see more stuff like this coming directly from the community and not just from the big corporations and them uh, speaking down. It's Rico Lamit, Dopest Dad on the Street. Hi, Nine News. I'd like to hear from the rest of y'all on this one. Elizabeth Warren, huh? That was my thoughts, too. <laughs> that was my first question. Elizabeth Warren, I mean... Hey, you know, I'm, I, I'll take anyone that wants to help help us out in, in championing real reform. So if she's being sincere about it, all that I can do is hope that she is being truly sincere about this and not just uh, gaslighting like she has in the past. Yeah, it sounds like the right thing to say, right? And a lot of times politicians are doing that. It's the right thing to say mm -hmm. in the moment, but what actually happens behind the closed doors is, is what yeah. we're going to be watching for. Exactly. Actions speak louder than words. Mm -hmm. And all of these other companies, they're already trying to get in. They're buddying up with delivery services. Yeah. They're trying to invest dollars through individuals rather than corporate entities. It's happening already. And I think her, her comments. Right. Yeah. I, I think her comments on Amazon were a direct shot at um, Nancy Mace. Is that, is that what you they, That's very possible. Yeah. Because I mean, Amazon is supporting Nancy Mace. That's right. Up. They came out and said that. And um, they have endorsed sensible legislation. Yep. They've endorsed. <laughs> rewind that. <laughs> They've endorsed. <laughs> <laughs> they have endorsed sensible legislation, though. And that was the bill that Nancy Mace introduced. And that is sensible legislation. The name of the bill is sensible legislation is the name of the bill. That's what I'm calling it. No, it's not the name of the bill, and it's only sensible <laughs> to the parties that created it. And she notably, after uh, winning her, um, um, was it the re-election or whatever? Her election. Uh, yeah, she notably took out a lot of the language that was um, um, uh, coming from the community standpoint. It was more just straight-up business, and there was like nothing really mm. about anti-recidivism. There was nothing really about uh, community-led uh, initiatives that she originally had in there. So, Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Matthew St. Germain, you got anything on this today? I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. No, I was working out. I was working out my sand issues for this first story. Uh, I'm coming to you all live from Green Brothers Farm outside of Lodi, where I just got a little mobile setup going. So uh, yeah, I'm all for anything that destigmatizes cannabis and leads to further legalization. It's so weird to see you like you know without like the, the, the swirling background and shit. I know it makes me sad a little bit. I really out. like. I get curious nice. though. Like, what are Elizabeth Warren's conversations behind closed doors? Like, what are those conversations? Is she is she talking to her colleagues? Is she pushing forward this initiative with what kind of energy? What kind of effort? You know. I- After her, yeah. Um, the last time I heard her talk, like on on a national front. Um, correct me, anybody up here, if, I, if I'm wrong. Last time I heard about her uh, talk about anything on a national front was when she was um, for the, was uh, during the presidential primary. Um, she was still running against uh, Joe Biden. And when I Google search, it, show, it still shows on her on her website, on her campaign website. Yeah, I think she, I, I haven't heard. She much. may be gearing up for another run. She should. I mean, she could run faster than I think a lot of the other people running. Without tripping, without herself up. But Chris, Chris, you have any thoughts on I reiterate uh, Matthew St. Germain's comments. Okay, okay. and hey, I'm also, Chris. I'm also, I'm also just happy to be here. Chris, I, I think I need to borrow one or two of your posters, bro. I, I need to. Uh, next step is to upgrade this sweet white wall behind me. I got you. I got you. I got, I got a bunch of stuff down here. I haven't hung yet. I'll send you something. Nice. White walls and black balls. Uh huh. <laughs> oh Lord, do we have a commercial? Oh boy, <laughs> we're yeah. smoking vanilla. We're commercial, we're gonna be. Right. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck, smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon? iHeartRadio and Spotify. Tune in now and check it out. He is the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer, um, the co-host of the show, and then also noticeably silent about what's going on with uh, Donald J. Trump's legal issues lately. Just saying there. Up next is Jason Beck. The reason I don't want to be silent, Rico, is because there's nothing going on. It's all one big witch hunt. It's all one big cook up cabal, and it's going to come up to one big nothing burger, okay? So, therefore, it doesn't deserve any time, and I've already given it too much time. All right, Rico? You seem to be taking up a lot. You you seem triggered by that, Jason. Definitely. No, 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 no. When I'm standing... With firearms, that's when I'm triggered. All right. <laughs> all right. But hold on. So, so, sorry, so man, what's the story? Yeah, in all seriousness, you're, you're going to love this story. All right. You're going to love this story because it's one of our favorite states. That's right. New York regulators, they've been raiding unlicensed marijuana stores and they're trying to enact new rules. Get out of here. New York regulators have started seizing products and issuing violations as part of a statewide initiative to rein in unlicensed marijuana operators in one of several new developments aimed to jump starting sales in the state's adult use market. They're trying to use that to jumpstart sales. Good luck, guys. Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul on Thursday announced the launch of a multi-agency enforcement effort 
and the first product seizures in New York City, where as many as 1,400 unlicensed stores, trucks, and bodegas are selling marijuana products. Seven stores were issued. Seven stores. Okay, you guys keep that number. Remember that number. Seven stores were issued violations for selling unlicensed marijuana products and ordered to cease operations. The New York Post reported they also each face a fine of up to ten thousand dollars a day. The alleged offenders are. Are you ready for this, Rico? Baby Jeter. Guardia <laughs> Smoke, Maze, Nomad, Play Lane, Roll 2 Nation, and Varieties on Broadway. Enforcement officers from the state's Office of Cannabis Management, the OCM, and Department of Taxation and Finance are inspecting storefront businesses not licensed to sell cannabis and issuing them notices of violation and orders to cease unlicensed activity. Lawmakers enacted the new measures in May as part of legislation that makes it a crime to sell marijuana products without a license. The new law also allows the OCM to impose fines of up to $20,000 a day, and it permits the Tax and Finance Department to issue civil penalties to businesses that don't pay applicable marijuana taxes and creates a new tax fraud crime for businesses that don't collect or remit required marijuana taxes or sell untaxed cannabis. In a quote, these enforcement actions are critical steps to protect and help those individuals who were promised a shot to start a legal business and be successful, Hochul said in a statement. There, The enforcement developments came came a day after the OCM announced that retail stores will be open this month in Farmingdale and Syracuse. The scheduled openings are the first in the central New York region and on Long Island, where the vast majority of towns and cities have opted out of retail. Only 13 retailers have been licensed since December 29th launch of adult-use cannabis sales in New York, widely missing market expectations touted by the governor and regulators leading up to the adult-use sales. Uh, state officials this week also outlined several changes to the conditional adult-use Retail Dispensary, a.k.a. the CURD program, which was established to enable applicants with low-level marijuana offenses and or their family members to enter the legal industry. Changes include... One, the Dormitory Authority of New York, basically DASNY, identifying new locations with low rent and renovation costs for CURD licenses under the original plan, a $200 million social equity fund managed Though DASNY was supposed to fund startup costs, find rental properties for entrepreneurs, and establish turnkey dispensaries. Two, DASNY capping build-out expenses at $1.3 million in New York City and around $1.1 million in upstate. Three, a curd licensee that secures its own location can apply for up to $100,000 low-interest loan from DASNY with an anticipated 5% interest rate to cover build-out costs, the fund will provide a reimbursement loan to cover up to 100000 in capital costs after the retailer has a, permit li a permitted license and a financial build-out opens, they say. 
And finally, number four, a new search tool for licensees designed to determine whether proposed locations meet the OCM barrier restrictions near schools, churches, and other dispensaries. The changes follow news that regulators and lawmakers are paving a path for multi-state operators to enter the adult use market by year's end, two, two years before originally planned in an effort to stabilize the shaky rollout of New York's adult use marijuana program and energize a supply chain that currently offers limited business opportunities. The OCM also announced that that stage one cannabis in Rennesalier and Half Island Flavors in the Bronx will launch delivery services in June, they say. Well, 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 what do you think? I mean, isn't this just going against all of the social equity provisions that they had in place by going in and raiding these businesses and taking their product? I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, This is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News. What do y'all think about this? So many layers here. So many layers. Um, <laughs> my initial instinct is, you know, if they're trying to roll out a legal system, and no matter how long it's taking, um, the constituents of that municipality need to follow in suit. And as much as I wish that we could have a free market and everybody could just sell this plant, the fact is that we can't. Um, and I don't know. It's a tough situation. I believe in access, but at the same time, I want safe access. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think the Hochul's stance on this and, and, and their action, they got seven people, right? They got seven <laughs> of the uh, report. What would they say? Like 1,500? Is it yeah. 3,500? But, but there's also been reports that are like, hey, we can't even quantify that number. That number is totally unrealistic. Yeah, totally. it is definitely totally unrealistic. Number. There's no way. This is an enforcement about nothing. My favorite thing to come out of New York is. <laughs> I mean, yes. Oh, no much. soup for you. Uh, <laughs> all about nothing. It's just do, doing stuff to say you're doing stuff. And um, it's not. Uh, I don't know, man. Chris yeah, Eggers has no teeth. Chris Eggers, what, what was that? It was that the Jerry Seinfeld starter pack? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only was it the Jerry Seinfeld starter pack, um, it's got the rye bread. Uh huh. It's got little Jerry. Little Jerry. Okay. Uh, I think we all know, uh, or maybe a Puerto Rican flag, jumpy shoes, right? Yep. Yes, it is absolutely New Balances. All things iconic Seinfeld. The best show to ever hit TV. The ass man. The ass man. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on a second, Chris. You think that Seinfeld was better than Curb Your Enthusiasm? I don't think Jason. I know. You're wrong about that. Wow. You know what? If I'm wrong about that, there's there's worse things to be wrong about. Those are two great shows. But Seinfeld, man. I mean, I Red Vines on a in front of a TV screen when the new Seinfeld was coming out. There was nothing better. I just don't get how a show about Larry David could be better than a show that is Larry David. <laughs> You put it that way, uh, you really limit my arguments, Jason. I, I'm, I'm really good at this. That's I, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, Chris. <laughs> yeah. You should have pulled me over sometime. Oh, I should have. Oh, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> no soup for you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But back, to, back to New York. I mean, yeah, let's get back to the story. I was going to say this. This whole thing is like the whole weed game, man. It's like a one of those foam mattresses you get from Costco. 
mm-hmm. it's out of the box and mm-hmm. there's no way we're fitting this thing back into the box. And I think we're seeing the same thing, uh, uh, a similar thing in California where like every, every big distro is failing. Most of the larger businesses are failing uh, smaller trap and non-trap brands that are cultivating are at least surviving, if not doing well. And I think they're really going to have to start rewriting the regulations to more effectively mirror the reality, or we're just going to have all of the uh, legal businesses going out of business. Well, I, mean, I, 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 I just, I, I'm just, you know, they, 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 when they started with New York, they were saying how no one should be going to jail and this and this and that, and yet they're going into all these bodegas and seizing all this product. So they're basically are retracting from their original statements, which we all knew they were going to have to do if they wanted to clean up. Clean yeah. up the uh, clean up the 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 you know whatever's going on out there. But the fact that there's only thirteen store, twelve, thirteen stores open, I mean, oh, man, it's just so rough, so rough, so rough to be in New York right now. Does New York have delivery? Well, they just, I, they just that that article referenced the fact that there was a Evil. delivery. There was Yes. Regulated delivery. Sorry, I should have been more clear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've had delivery since the 90s at least. Man. Is yeah. there a delivery license? Or <laughs> regulations are still draft though, right? Well, hold on, you guys. The last sentence in this article says the OCM also announced that stage one cannabis in Rensselaer, wherever that is, and Half Island Flavors in the Bronx will launch delivery services in June. Hmm. So there'll be two delivery services as of June, but it's already June. So when are those supposed to be open? Yeah, good question. Okay, interesting. Well, you don't need a lot of storefronts if you've got delivery. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's very, very true. Pathway for ease to get in there. Oh, God. Say no words. I'm just saying, oh, man, you know, like, the, the way things are going out there, man, like you can have a couple of deliveries open up and it's not going to be long before they're complaining about um, Kathy Holchel opening up the, the, the doors for big business yet again, which we know that they're going to do. All right. All right. New York, New York, New York. Called it from the beginning. Did we not call that shit from the beginning? It says, it's going to be a shit show. They're yep. going to try to do a bunch of stuff. And, and I'm all for the way that they tried. They attempted to do uh, um, um, put social equity first but without without that actual infrastructure there like we called that shit from the beginning we're like it's, it's going to be a shit show they're going to try to ram a bunch of stuff through and they're going to get pushed back from both sides and mm-hmm. they, they caved very early what we've seen over the last almost a year from new york is the last seven years of california expedited and uh thank you to uh to spado out there he says that resnalier is in, in albany Mm. All right. All right. Good geographicalness going on over there. Thank you guys for all that information. We're going to keep it moving. Coming up next. That's right. It's the founder of CC Security Solutions. He's the he's the cop or former cop that turned his badge into a notepad and loves to smoke blunts of some weed. When he's with me, he gets to smoke the best weed in the world. But when he's not and he's up there in Truckee, who knows what he's smoking on. But nonetheless, that's right. It's the founder of CCC Security Solutions and the person that will keep your weed safe when the criminals come to try to get it. That's right. It's Christopher Eggers. Jason, back. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Happy Monday. Happy, happy Monday. I hope everybody had a phenomenal um, weekend. My story today comes out of Oregon. 
Uh, headline reads, Oregon to crack down on illegal cannabis growers by holding landowners responsible. Oregon has long been known for the Mecca, according to this article, for high-quality cannabis, but the reputation has come with the downside. Illegal growers who offer huge amounts of cash to lease or buy land and then leave behind pollution, garbage, and a drain and drained water table. Now, a bill is passed by the Oakland, I'm sorry, Oregon legislature seeks to tackle this by making the landowners themselves responsible for the aftermath. The bill also prohibits the use of river, rivers and underground water at illegal sites, as well as criminalizing seizing the identity papers of migrant workers who tend to plant or threaten to report them for deportation. Under the bill, local governments are authorized to file a claim or lien against the property used for illicit cannabis if the owner doesn't pay for the cleanup. So House Speaker Dan Rayfield, he signed the new legislation Wednesday after it passed both the chamber over the objections of some Republicans. Democratic Governor Tina Kotick is expected to sign it later this week. But Senator Jeff Golden of Ashland said that property owners should know something is amiss when they are quote, approached at the beginning of the growing season with requests to lease their property for tens, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in a single year, end quote. Witnesses described backpacks full of thousands of dollars in cash being handed over to landowners and getting numerous offers to buy. Jackson County Sheriff Nathan Stickler told lawmakers that after police uh, raid illegal cannabis farms, neither landowners nor the suspect make efforts to clean up or remove the cheaply built greenhouses he calls hoop houses, uh, and other debris, including plastics and chemicals. Quote, frankly, it's an eyesore for our community with no means to deal with it, he said. Due to persistent police raids, which netted over 100 tons of illegal cannabis across the state this year, the growth sites have become smaller and more dispersed. For example, on Thursday, Josephine County Sheriff's deputies and other officers raided a property in Cave Junction and destroyed about 2,000 cannabis plants and 100 pounds of processed cannabis. Landowners who have been... Uh, intimidated and suffering from environmental damages from illegal growers uh, are still uh, applauding the bill. So there seems to be some support for this bill. Obviously, there's going to be some pushback for this bill. Very interesting that they're going after landowners. We've seen municipalities do this uh, in various forms, going after property owners. Um, I believe a while back reported on, you know, um, this happening in Los Angeles, people going after the property owners. Uh, seems like a bit of a cat and mouse game, but Thought I'd share this story. Thank you for allowing me to contribute on this beautiful Monday morning. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the Hyatt 9 News Hour. I mean, Chris, you used to be law enforcement. Correct. According what, to your what, intro, yes. What what what, <laughs> what, what, do you think, what do you think would be an adequate response for them to be able to clean up their mess in Oregon? I mean, that's a... That's a tough one. I think that's a multi multifaceted answer. I don't think it, it necessarily falls on um, law enforcement alone. I certainly don't think that it falls solely on enforcement. Um, you know, this is one way to approach it, I guess. But, you know, I would really want to hear from somebody in Southern Oregon who's been affected by this. Is there, you know, uh, neighboring properties that are unrelated to illicit cannabis grows being affected and how do they feel about it? I mean, I don't know, Jason, off the top of my head, I couldn't answer that. That's a very difficult question to answer. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, Oregon is just a, just, just a, a really terrible market. I mean, the mar market has totally bottomed out. You have wholesale weed at, at record low, low prices up there. And I, I just don't see uh, uh, any help offering to, coming to Oregon without 
us having interstate trade. I think here, here's one, here's one sort of tidbit, right? Let's say I'm a landowner and I lease it to you, right? You have an expectation of privacy from me, correct? Correct. Um, so therefore as a landowner, why would that fall on me if I don't really know what you're doing and how am I expected to be sort of keep tabs on you? I think it's just, you know, you're going after somebody who you know forced to pay a bill. Yeah, but this is how they killed every good party with the Rave Act. Same, same. If you if you were a land, landlord and you were renting your place for like a warehouse to whoever, and they threw a party, anybody had got caught with any kind of psychedelic there, then the landlord was uh, open for uh, both um, charges, but also to have their property seized. So this has been happening since the '90s in the Rave Act. Right. It's been it's it's something that's been tried before that that happens, yeah. but how. You know, I think in part some municipalities do this because they know the property owner is the only person within that sort of food chain that's going to potentially pay. Well, yeah, um, it's the only person that they oh, have and has power and influence in the situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the only person that has any financial interest that they can actually attach fines and actually like get their money. Yep, mm -hmm. and then obviously it's the landlord's responsibility to get rid of the tenant or make the tenant pay. Right. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Do you think it's going to work? No. 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 <laughs> so we we'll go have a party way too much. <laughs> like, I, I, get, I get why the Rave Act worked because we were having raves in Oakland and San Francisco, and it's like big city, and like there's tons of people standing around that, that can yeah. see people going into to a building. But right. Southern Oregon is very, very rural, and unless you're monitoring it with drones or whatnot, a lot of these places are off the beaten path, and you're, there's no one around to see anything that's going on. Yeah, and you can shut them down, and then a week later, people can have plants in. Exactly. And then what, you know, what are you going to do? Visit every property every three days to make sure there's no plants going in. Exactly. Yeah. Really, it just keeps it keeps looking at the same thing. We need to deschedule and or legalize, and we need to just really allow free movement. The other problem that like Oregon and Oklahoma, Mississippi, a lot of these states have is they get these guys who come in with spreadsheets and they write out a spreadsheet. You know, the the equal sign at the bottom of the spreadsheet is we're going to make a billion dollars, but what they forget is. The reason that there's so much money weed in California is there's millions upon millions, 45 million people or whatever in California. Mm -hmm. How many people total live in Mississippi? How many people total live in Oregon that even smoke weed? It's a tiny fraction. It, it can't really support a large scale business. That's true. But that's also too why cannabis prices are up, up, up in those markets. Yeah. And well, that's 4.2 million people. Oregon, that's Oregon. not even uh that's million? less than, than than san francisco san francisco i think is like nine million ten million oh man oh man oh man oh man that proof is in the numbers right there matthew we're gonna we're gonna go to a commercial we're gonna be right back keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state local and federal governments is key to success when the future of your business is at stake you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. All right, stop whatever you're doing and make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you also have hit that subscribe button if you have not already. And, of course, make sure you go on, head over to our website, www.hyatt9.com. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter. When you do sign up for our newsletter, you will get a confirmation email 
in your inbox. Once you must hit that in order to actually be subscribed for us to send you the weekly newsletter as well as we have amazing merch up there for you to check, wear, sport, rock out, and all that good stuff. Also, too, one quick announcement for you guys. Um, we are missing Gretchen Gailey today. Um, she had a uh, relative pass over the weekend or whatnot, and so she is going to be out for a little while while she takes care of all of that. So anyone that wants to send her well wishes is definitely appreciated. Um, but just so you guys already know, you got that way you guys don't have to ask. And last but not least, make sure to tell your friends about the show because organic growth is the best growth. Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. This, prop pot, this pot product extraordinaire and serial entrepreneur is known for blazing trails and doobies alike. She tackles head honcho duties for the Women's Can Awards and is an Emerald Cup Edibles judge. The woman known in certain industry circles as Carmen Sacramento is coming up next. Y'all know who it is. Mandy Tingler. You're on mute, Mandy. You you got it? I'm coming All back. Right. Sorry. I got All right, too there excited. we go. All right. So first I was just saying, shout out to Gretchen. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss, and we miss you today for sure. Um, today's article talks about an 82-year-old weed dealer with 24 past convictions. He's given his very last warning. An 82-year-old weed dealer has been given his very last warning from a judge per a report in the Associated Press. The man in question, who has not been named in reports, has avoided serving time behind bars in Germany after being convicted in connection with dealing weed. As highlighted in the report, the retired sailor had already amassed 24 prior convictions. In fact, as noted in a separate report from Germany's DW News, prosecutors had pointed to this record when pushing for a sentence of 34 months. The judge in the case, however, took a more understanding approach when considering the full context of the allegations against the man. According to the reports, 82 year -old, the 82-year-old had turned to selling weed for survival. His only other income, which was estimated to be around $855 a month, was due to a pension that far from met the requirements of his basic living needs. Furthermore, the man is said to have been dealing with undisclosed health-related concerns, all of which contributed to his need to supplement his income. Still, the judge, despite showing understanding for the man's current situation, made it clear that this would serve as, quote, the very last warning for the 82-year-old. Of course, it should go without saying that no one should be met with criminal proceedings in connection with weed. Here in the States, frustratingly, there's still a grave discrepancy on a state-by-state -state basis in terms of of how the law responds to such cases. Now you guys, this case is taking place in Germany. 
And this judge gets me really enthusiastic about his his uh, policy here. What do you guys think? This is Mandy reporting for Hyatt Nine. Wow. This guy, 82, super trapper, it has has a number, what is it, 24 past convictions. And this judge has given him his very last warning. <laughs> this is your final warning. 82 <laughs> years old. I mean. Is this judge getting ready to retire? Is that why he's saying this is going to be your final warning? Listen, this judge needs to go around <laughs> teaching other people <laughs> that, you know, this is not the end all be all thing. I mean, I could see if cannabis was lethal, right? But this is silly. I mean, Joe Biden. I just want to hug this 82-year-old grandpa. Like, I really do. <laughs> if you hug him too hard, he's going to disintegrate. <laughs> he's going to be a puff of smoke. <laughs> just left for this dude. I want, I, I want to buy a bag of weed from this guy and see what kind of weed that is. From it's said. from Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Probably not the best weed in the world. Yeah, I, I know. I just I want to I like for seniors. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I want to know who his customer base is. Like, is it a bunch of teenagers? Plug- is it a bunch of seniors? Like, who is he selling to? <laughs> I want to know who his plug is, Mandy. I want to know what his prices are. It's probably you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, European spec plug. Um, <laughs> this, he gets his final warning. He's 82 years old. I don't know. It's like Joe Biden's last call for being president, right? Uh, let's hope. Chris, how many times have you pulled someone over and told them this is going to be your final warning? I mean, it's your, it's your, at least your first warning. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine having to put handcuffs on this guy? He's 82 years old. I wish they had posted a picture of this man. I really was curious about what he looked like. Does he have a mugshot? Like, what's going on? I just, I just wonder if they cuffed him in the front or in the back. Oh. Come on, don't cut. Let like, Grandpa go. Oh, no yeah, let Grandpa go. No, no, no. reach around, Jason. That's where they I'm probably just asking, just asking, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, even even the AP version of this story, you can't get a, a picture of him. I don't know if this dude even exists. <laughs> I mean, he probably didn't sign off on his on the rights of his phone fo- of his mugshot. No, you have no. Once you have a mugshot, it's public property. Even there in Germany, it might not be like that in Germany, though. Oh, no, okay. They give you mugshots. It just you know tell you to spread your cheeks and lift your sack. You know? okay. Yeah. Oh man, that's rough. That's rough. That's rough. We're gonna. And <laughs> just say, <laughs> you're like, like you've never been through a cavity check before. Uh, <laughs> man, we're gonna go to a commercial. We're gonna be right back. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Coming up next, that's right, it's the immortal Count himself, the man of a thousand lives. That's right, Matthew St. Germain. That's right. Oh, yes. He's part of the Merry Pranksters and the Brotherhood of Eternal Love and loves to tell you all about psychedelics and hallucinogenics, knowing that you are the sober one. That's right. It is none other than the Matthew St. Germain. 
Thanks, Brother Jason. Happy Monday. No psychedelic story today. I just barely made it out here to uh, on location where we're building out a big cultivation. Uh, but I got a good one about Missouri. So Missouri is rolling out marijuana micro licenses. Uh, Columbia, Dateline, Columbia. As the Missouri marijuana industry rakes in millions from recreational weed, state regulators have slowly started to roll out a program intended to help small and minority-owned businesses break into the lucrative marketing. After voters approved an amendment to legalize adult use last year, only well-established marijuana businesses have been able to cash in while small companies have been mostly left in limbo. A smaller micro-license program overseen by the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services is supposed to be geared towards minority groups, lower-income individuals, and those who have previously been arrested for nonviolent marijuana offenses. One of the requirements to apply was intended to give marijuana license owners who live in areas that have faced high rates of criminalization which are predominantly black or other marginalized community owned. That's a weird sentence. It kind of stops. But the program rollout has faced intense criticism from groups such as the Missouri NAACP on the grounds that some of the zip codes listed for areas with high rates of incarceration are heavily skewed away from the state's two most diverse cities in Kansas City and St. Louis and towards more rural parts of the state. More conservative and rural parts of the state are less diverse, but are also where marijuana crimes are typically pursued more aggressively. It seems like this is actually excluding the very people that it was supposed to help due to the way the law is written. Nimrod Chapel, the president of the Missouri State Conference of the NAACP, told Missouri Star. Others have criticized the program itself, saying it creates a separate and unequal category of marijuana businesses that have to compete with large established companies. Micro license holders also can't sell or buy products from larger players. In the face of criticism, the state health department last week made some changes to the program, allowing prospective applicants to provide documents to the state showing that while they may not meet all the requirements, they should still qualify for a micro license. Here's a look at the rollout of the controversial program and what to know before applying to sell legal weed. And then it goes uh, into uh, what is a micro license. That's a micro license is a business that will be capped at 250 flowering plants at any given time. That sounds pretty damn small, especially because you can't really grow outdoors too well in Missouri. These facilities can only sell marijuana products to other micro-licensed facilities, not bigger dispensaries. And dispensaries with micro-licenses can only acquire marijuana products from other micro-business facilities, not from larger players. I don't know about you, but this sounds kind of like separate but equal or kind of almost like a segregation deal to me. Uh, the health department said that applications will start rolling out from July 27th to August 10th. There's a $1,500 fee. And I really think that this is going to be up for a lot of uh, lawsuits. Now, they say, who can apply? Anyone making uh, less or having a net worth of less than $250,000. Um, also, if you live in a census tract area where at least 30% of the community lives up below the poverty line, or if you live in an area where the unemployment rate is 50% higher than the state's average. Um, lastly, folks with nonviolent cannabis uh Felonies can also apply and, and get preferred status. Now, this uh, they have a quote from a gentleman, Andrew McDowell, who's planning to apply for a micro license. He's been scouring the state's health department website to research the new program and prepare for the application. McDowell owns Funky Skunk, a black owned smoke shop in Raytown. And he said he's been trying not to focus too much on criticism or of the program or the rules. He knows that even if he qualifies for the program, there's still a good chance he may not get a license. And he says, you can have all the boxes checked and be the best possible option for the state to select, and you still might not get it because it's a random selection. It's just about making sure that we put our best foot forward with the application and make sure it's timely and complete. Um, 
I really just don't like the way this entire story smells, and I'd really like to know what uh, my fellow correspondents and, and hosts would have to say about this. This is Matthew St. Germain in Lockford, California, at the new Green Brothers Farm for the Hyatt 9 News. Take it away, folks. I mean, oh, man. Yeah. Go for it, Rico. Go for it. You say, yeah. It's, it's, it's capitalism. <laughs> it's institutional yeah. racism, dude. Well, yeah, it doesn't even sound like capitalism. Uh, no, it doesn't. Or, or not. It's at least non-free market capitalism because they're literally making an entire separate track. But, you know, the one thing I could say is the joke might be on them because you're probably going to find a lot better weed and a lot better vibe with these micro licenses. And so that yeah. might even you might even actually be creating kind of like a a a a preferred go-to for folks in the area yeah they may have they may have higher quality products because of their lower lower flowering counts on top, of, on top of um supply and demand they may be able to get higher prices for their product there and create a big hype around it. you know similar to like what cookies does word that's um, what i'm thinking as well did, did i hear you correctly when you said that there is only outdoor no, no, I said uh, they said 250 plants, and I said that's a very small count for indoor because it's really difficult to grow outdoor weed in Missouri uh, yeah. just because you're talking about 70-plus percent humidity year-round. Yeah, we're going to have, like, two flowering bays. Like, Did I hear you correctly? You said there's only, like, outdoor? Like, available? Uh, they're going to try to recreate uh, the Midwest? They're going like, to try to recreate an outdoor-indoor. They're going to have 10-foot-tall plants. And- Inception. <laughs> Oh, man. I guess some of those grows will be double stacked, huh, Matthew? <laughs> yeah, yo. no, they will not be double nor triple stacked, bro. It, it it's really weird that they would they would have such a small plant count. That's the part I don't really understand. But it just goes to show, you know, it highlights this issue we constantly have with folks who are in the the governmental bodies really having no clue, really mm-hmm. about about plant counts, about plant sizes, or or grow modalities. Yeah, I think they're trying to make make these licenses destined to fail by having those. Yeah such plant such low plant numbers and at the same time too um i'm a little disappointed that they're not allowing um these uh these retailers to also have the ability to sell products from other licensed retailers it's only if you're from a a micro license also which means you have a which you have a a lower amount of products so then therefore everything is going to naturally be higher Yeah. yeah 100 and and they just preclude like if there is something that gets statewide you know, name or somebody's putting their name on everything on the billboards. If there's a, a big statewide brand, use mm-hmm. that micro business, have no ability to sell that, sell that product, which might be a leader for, you know, competing dispensaries around you. Not to mention, they're not going to have any weed that they're going to be able to sell on the trap either to help build their brand. Right. <laughs> now, this seems like the most unfair equity or micro business program I've seen so far. I, I would agree with that. Um, we, we, we have incinerary up from the clubhouse audience who happens to be in Missouri. Are, are you with us or are you just there, Incinerary? Yeah, buddy, I'm here, Jason. Thank you for having me up. All right. So, yeah, the, yeah, I was at the Mocana Trade event where they actually had a panel discussing the micro licenses, and then I know Andrew uh, personally, and I've been to the Funky Skunk a few times, uh, his little consumption lounge. But, yeah, there's definitely people being upset on how it's been set out, the number as well as who's going to actually receive those. Uh, the first time they ran out the licenses here, they found out that they actually, uh, what do you know, the money is who actually got the licenses the first time. Uh, they had, you know, identical applicants, but one uh, was a booster contributor and was, was one was not and one got approved and the other did not. So that's how they that's why they're calling it random. But it is definitely not random. 
Yeah. Uh, the last thing I would mm-hmm. say is the, you're talking about the quality of the flour. A lot of these applicants are coming from the illicit market and are known in the area for having high quality flour. So uh, a lot of them are very excited to be able to be out front and be able to now market their brand. And people will pay more for some of these micro licenses just because of the street credibility they already have in the Missouri market. I'll go down yep. and listen, but thanks for having me up, guys. Oh, uh, thank you so much. A, a, a quick, quick question. What, what do you think <laughs> these ace are going to top out at on the market in scenario? I don't know. They might be up to $75 for an eighth of these micro licenses because you're getting $60 from dispensaries now for the quote unquote top shelf. So I bet you can get $75 for an eighth at some place. Well, I think what they need to do is up that even a little bit more and just start doing $100 eighths. Yeah, you can afford that, Jason. The people of Missouri cannot. Yeah, no. But it's the hype, bro. It's the hype weed. Supreme. Bro, you remember those? You remember those hundred dollar eighth of Mac One? Bro, I used to sell so many hundred dollar eighths. It's not even funny. Dude, I was at a dispensary last week and I saw an eighth for hundred and twenty five dollars, and I asked the tender. <laughs> I asked the bud tender, and I'd never even heard of the brand before either. Okay, and I what asked the, the tender, I was like, "How many people have bought this?" She said, "Nobody." <laughs> we, we used to sell the ninety 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 five dollar eighths back in Chicago because we were only only selling. Dime bags. <laughs> Dime bags. <laughs> uh, uh, Mandy, that $125 eighth you're talking about, is that is that with all taxes included or is that? No, that's before tax. That's just the pricing oh, on the package. And then, hold on, it gets better. You can't see the flower. There's no window in the package. Mm-hmm. And it's also in a very fancy Mylar bag. I think, oh I think that is the best way to do it. If you're going to have a high-priced item, you shouldn't let anybody see it. they got to pay to see that. Roll that bag. Does this That's ace right. come with an That's insurance right. policy? Because right. of this shit's swill, I'm taking it back. Yeah. What, was, what was the brand? That's what I want to know. I forget. You know what? Let me look. I think I took a picture of it. High-end flowers, you know what I'm saying? You know, they're, pro, they're pros. I think that'd be a great name for a flower line that charges 125 an eighth. It's like selling. Oh, I have it. I have it here. Actually, it's called uh, Jokes Up is the Strain, but you might uh, it's like the Jokes on you. Jokes, <laughs> jokes Up is a brand. Yeah, that's some runs. That's run family stuff, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The joke is on whoever buys Yeah, Rico. Who will be buying that? People do be buying that. Not even going to front. People do be. Do be. People do be. Oh, you see what I did there. You like that, huh? And uh, unintended puns there. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, lots of puns. I'm going to go into our last, last, last story of the day, you guys. Are you guys ready for this? Oh, it's born, born ready. All right. Well, the Cannabis Commission considers new rules around veterans and pot. The state's Cannabis Control Commission will consider removing registration fees for veterans using the medical marijuana program in order to expand the use of a drug many say is far safer than the opioids veterans are frequently prescribed to manage pain. And just so you know, this story is coming out of Massachusetts, just for for reference. I noticed that that didn't uh, come across in the first sentence, so my bad. Uh, During its regular meeting last week, commissioners learned through the state 
through. The state is home to hundreds of thousands of veterans, many of whom would qualify for medical marijuana as a result of service connect, uh, connected disabilities. Veterans are not entering the medical marijuana program at nearly the same rates as other adults. I wonder if it's because they're skeptical of government. Um, part of the problem is the law, they say in a quote, access to medical marijuana in the regulated industry for veterans in Massachusetts continues to face significant barriers, primarily due to existing federal illegality of cannabis commissioners were uh, shown during a presentation by Commissioner Bruce Stebbins. For the 71,000 Massachusetts veterans using a Veterans Administration facility for health care or the 11,000 who are 100% disabled as a result of their service, marijuana remains illegal at the federal level, making it inaccessible through the VA. That means veterans cannot get a recommendation from their doctor to get a medical marijuana card or even ask their doctors for advice about use of marijuana. In a quote, I believe that federal prohibition of cannabis has had a chilling effect on our veterans' ability to seek treatment here in Massachusetts and perhaps even to pursue employment in the cannabis industry, Stebbins said. He also says, this is really a question of access and equality for our veterans. Another part of the problem is the cost of certification. Medical marijuana cards are issued on a yearly basis with an annual cost of both licensing and processing. The additional expense on top of the cost of the cannabis itself can be too much for a veteran on a fixed, fixed disability income to add to their already steep health costs. Uh, commissioners indicated as a possible statement of policy that they would support expanding the definition of qualifying patient to include veterans using the VA for health care who can furnish documentation demonstrating the federal department has diagnosed the veteran with a condition which would normally qualify them for the program. The commission could also support changing their list of qualifying depilating conditions to include PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder and opioid addiction. Too many veterans uh, co commissioners learned are, are basically turning to more dangerous or addictive drugs because they simply have no alternative. In a quote, veterans are more susceptible to opioid addiction as they are more likely to suffer from chronic pain. In addition, many veterans suffer from mental health problems like post-traumatic stress disorder, making them more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol in an attempt to self-medicate, Commissioner Kimberly Roy said. Uh, Mortality rates from drug overdoses among the veteran population have increased by more than 50% in the last decade, Roy told her colleagues, but it's a problem that the commission is in a unique position to help solve, she said. In a quote, addressing drug overdose in the veteran population requires accessible and non-judgmental low threshold wraparound and holistic solutions that recognize the complex etiology of overdose risk for veterans, she said. While marijuana is legal for adult use in Massachusetts, with or without a medical recommendation, it remains a Schedule One controlled substance under federal law alongside drugs like heroin and LSD. According to the Drug Enforcement Agency, Schedule One drugs are defined as drugs with no currently accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. Well, I think that's a great start, what they could do um, for these veterans as, but we'll see how long it takes for them to actually do that. What do you, what do you guys think about this? Oh, you have a thought you have something to say Zaza. Yeah. She's a veteran too. 
Yeah. Yes, I do. This is the same thing that's happening to all veterans. This is the same thing I complain about myself as a veteran. I should not have to go to the VA for all of my medical treatment, and they have all of my records, and then I have to go to a total stranger with those records outside of VA and pay for them to browse through my stuff and then make a determination for me. Mm-hmm. To give a recommendation. I agree. I, I think they should just allow veterans to be able to self-certify. You just show your proof of service, boom, and you're considered a patient. <clears throat> that would be nice. That'll never happen. But they don't do that, and we pay the same fees that everyone else pays. Even yep. in this state, to renew our medical card annually, well, every two years, we still pay more than people who get food stamps. Wow. How much is how much is that, uh, Zaza, in Arizona? So the state fee is $150. 150 for two whatever. years? It just went to two years um, a year ago. Okay. It used to be annually. And then you pay whatever the doctor charges, and they usually are $99 and up. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. And they don't even see you in person. Hold on a second. You're, you're, you're telling me that you, you, you pay like for this card that allows you to be able to procure cannabis on top of you're paying the doctor to sign it? Oh, yeah. That's who's, who collects out getting that card. The state, the state the collects doctor, that money. The state collects $150 that you have to pay at the doctor's office when you go there. So you can pay for your state fee with a credit card or something. Mm-hmm. But then the doctor's fee is a completely separate fee. And then they still charge you to file the application with the state for you. Mm-hmm. You can't racket. even file the application for the state for yourself. You only can get a card if a physician does the application and submits it to the state for you. That is a racket right there, Zaza. That should be illegal. Yep. Racket. And they don't even see you in person. This is for a, a Zoom <laughs> a recertification. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. This is an outrage. People should be really, really mad about this. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't seem to care. I don't care. You should just, you know, just put it on your insurance, man. Just just make this shit, the whole thing is open for insurance. And if you got insurance, you should be able to get, have no fees when it comes to weed. Pay a copay. Then you can get your $120 eighths (laughs) for $20. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, that ain't happening anytime soon. If that, if that happens, I'm moving my prize to ace up to two fifty. I mean, just think about it though. If all eight sold at hundred and twenty bucks, like we wouldn't have to sell as much. Yep. As That's what I said. Yeah, if the insurance pay for it, I'd be up at two fifty an eighth. Yeah. Just, yeah. In America, it probably will be in ten years. <laughs> it's a quarter grand, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are at the top of the hour, everybody. Thank you all for joining us for yet another episode of High at Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the super fans showing love, getting their comments projected live on the big screen. Also, the live audience members and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in and giving us feedback every day. Our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective uh, and your respected opinions to the table. Our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, The Vortex, 91 Club, and all our sponsors helping us keep 
the lights on and keeping our AV struggles to an absolute minimum. And of course, the lovely Jaja Simone chiming in in the comments today as a veteran and as a proud black woman over there in Clubhouse doing a thing. And all the haters out there, hope you had a great weekend. I hope you're ready for a battle this week. So I'm bringing the heat. Always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason the High 9 News team stays on point and shows up every single day to read these headlines. It has been Monday, June 12th, 2023. The show is over. You've all been blessed with the industry's hot top headlines. You know what? Today, I want to give it to Chris Eggers, man. You got, you got, you got, you got, you got Chris to go already. You had to go. My God, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> Mandy Tingler, what you got for us, Carmen Sacramento? It's Monday. You're nowhere near halfway through the week. Oh. <laughs> or yourself another cup of coffee, smoke a joint, make it a good one. Bye, everybody. Positive. <laughs>